The scripture lesson for this morning describes an incident that took place in the lives of Jesus and his disciples when they visited the town of Jericho. And it relates in particular to a man named Bartimaeus, a man who turned out to be a very good advocate for himself, a way of showing some powerful self-compassion. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. In the name of God, the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heather Murray Elkins is a wonderful preacher and a gifted leader of worship. She has been a pastor and an author, and she has taught for many years at Drew Theological School in New Jersey. Some years ago, I had an opportunity to take a workshop from Heather called Creative Worship Leadership. And I went there probably with everyone else at the workshop, just looking for a lot of practical advice. And Heather delivered on that practical advice, but she started the worship, uh, the worship workshop, by asking us about ourselves. She wanted to know about the quality of the inner life that we were bringing to that workshop. What was the nature of our communion and connection with God, or was there any connection or communion? She told us it was important to start from this place because no matter how creative our ideas may be from worship, what re about worship, what really makes worship alive is the sense of aliveness that we bring to it, the sense of inner health. And she told a story about herself and how she had struggled with this uh, as a young teacher when she was just beginning to teach at Drew she was also serving as a pastor and raising a family. She was way in over her head. And so her family encouraged her to go on retreat at a Roman Catholic monastery run by nuns. She grudgingly agreed to do this, but in the back of her mind, she was thinking, oh, maybe I can get a lot of work done while I'm on retreat for myself. So she did go off and retreat. She got herself settled in her room. Her papers and books were scattered all over the place, and there came a knock at the door. And uh, when she opened the door, there was a nun with a silver tray. And on the silver tray was a glass of wine and a bottle of bubble bath. And Heather looked at them, at these things, and said, what am I supposed to do with these? And this nun looked at her and smiled and said, so what they say is true. You preachers love to talk about grace, but you're not very good at receiving it. When I was just learning how to be a pastor, 
trying to figure out the practices and habits and attitudes that go into pastoral work, my models for effective ministry were people like Heather, people who were always overextended, overengaged, doing God's work, they said, but not looking like they were having a lot of fun with it. Depletion was very nearly a badge of honor that accompanied each of them as they went about this work. They were not exuding a sense of joy, and some of them, I noticed, suffered from depression. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and love God above all. We call that the golden rule. And if the golden rule is supposed to be the rule that pastors follow as well as their parishioners, at no time did anyone in my early training sit me down and have a serious conversation with me about how I was going to show compassion towards myself so that I could be better at showing compassion to the world, nor did I engage that question myself. I was too eager to get out there into the world and make a difference. Now, I was always encouraged to take a day off not to spend more than three nights a week out at committee meetings, to take a vacation every year with my family. But that hardly qualifies as a deep dive into self-compassion, a deep dive into a sense of what it was that I needed for myself before I even began to ask that question about other people. Over the past few months, I've been reading books about compassion. Over and over again, I find encouragement in these books to love the world, first of all, by learning how to love ourselves. Only then can we go out into the world with a sense of inner wholeness, respect for our limitations, appreciation for our vulnerability. In her book, 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life, Karen Armstrong gives a vision of what self-compassion can mean as we strive to become more effective as caregivers and reaching out to the world. She says, before we can make friends with others, we have to make a friend of our own self. Without denying your faults, she says, remember all the people you have helped, the kind things you have done that nobody noticed, and your successes at home and at work. A sense of humor is also important. We should be able to smile wryly but gently at our failings in the same way as we might tease a friend. Once you have started to feel a genuine compassion for yourself, she says, you will be able to extend it to others. Now, in his book, Compassion in Action, Frank Rogers devotes nearly the first two-thirds of that book to an understanding of self-compassion, which he calls grounding. His argument is that only when we have a sense of being grounded in the spirit and the life of God, only when we have a decent sense of respect for ourselves, our gifts, strengths, as well as our weaknesses, can we begin to move out into the world with with a realistic sense of how we can care for others and the creation. So he says that having that sense of self-compassion heals us. It makes us whole. And it connects us once more with the sacred compassion of God, whose face gazes from the depths of creation, weeping for our pain and smiling at the beauty within us that's coming to life. I'm thankful that there is a much deeper understanding of self-compassion as these various authors 
seek to engage us and our faith and how we might become ambassadors of hope in the world. Jesus clearly expected self-compassion for his followers. From time to time, he took his disciples aside so that they could get away from the press and demand of the crowds, feel their own heart beating, feel the breath flowing through their bodies. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, he said, not a longer to-do list. 900 years ago, Bernard of Clairvaux, who was the leader of a monastic community in northeastern France, was concerned about the well-being of those in his care. He noticed that there was a, a tendency to overwork in his brothers in that monastery, perhaps because they wanted to please Bernard, or maybe they wanted to please God. So this is what he said to them. I cannot see myself being enriched by your wasting of your powers. For if you are mean to yourself, to whom will you be good? Help me out of your abundance if you have it. If not, then spare yourself the trouble. Self-compassion is about self-understanding. It's a way of understanding and appreciating our gifts, our strengths, our brokenness, our fears, our capacities, and our limitations. This self-understanding helps us to be clear about the question, what is God calling us to do at this time? It helps us to understand what we need in order to do that work. In the story from the gospel according to Mark that I read as part of this service, this story is about an encounter that Jesus has with a blind man, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus screams for help for Jesus. He's exercising some self-compassion. He wants to be healed. He wants to have his sight restored. Now, Jesus doesn't respond to him immediately with an action. Instead, he asks him a question. What do you need me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus then answers that question. There's a real sense of communion between these two men at this moment when one seeks healing and the other offers it. Self-compassion is taking time to understand how we need to be healed, and then it's taking time to receive that healing. It's giving ourselves room to breathe, room to celebrate, and also room to grieve if we need that. It's doing what we need to do in order to come alive to the beauty and wonder of the world. As a person who is an introvert, who has had to learn how to become a trained extrovert over the years, I especially appreciate solitude. I understand how important that is for me, for my own sense of health and spiritual well-being. It's a way that I can practice some self-compassion towards myself. God wants us to be well. God wants us to be well enough to enjoy life and savor life, share life with others, and also bring a greater sense of hope and dignity and respect to the world around us. The dangers of depletion are very real these days and won't go away anytime soon, so we need to understand what we need in order to care for ourselves so that we can be strengthened to care for others. And the good news is that we can learn to do that in some very simple ways. We can practice self-compassion simply in the way that we choose to see ourselves. For a very ta long time in my life, I was my harshest critic. Every time I thought about something that I had done, I could always find something in it that 
wasn't complete, wasn't perfect, wasn't whole. And finally, I began to give myself a little room to make mistakes and not be perfect and to be a little gracious towards myself. I had a friend of mine who said, you know, Ed, you really ought to start listening to how you talk to yourself. What, are, what, what was the message that I was giving to myself? Rabbi Albert Friedlander discovered at an early age that he could shape the world in a more positive way depending on how he viewed himself. He had grown up in Nazi Germany and as a child was bewildered and distressed by the vicious anti-Semitic propaganda that assailed him on all sides. One night when he was about eight years old, he deliberately lay awake and made a list of all his good qualities. He told himself firmly that he was not what the Nazis said that he had talents and special gifts of heart and mind, which he enumerated to himself one by one. Finally, he vowed that if he survived, he would use those qualities to build a better world. From time to th time, it's a good thing to name those qualities about ourselves that we like or love or appreciate so that we can bring that spirit out into the world with us. We can also practice self-compassion through simple rituals that build confidence and restore us. There are times in life when we may be on constant call and brought near to the edge of depletion, but there are also many times when we can allow ourselves the space to be cared for at the deepest and most vulnerable places in our lives, cared for as only God can care for us. In those moments, we can be nourished by a grace that we do not create for ourselves. I was thinking about this when I read an email this past week from a colleague. At the base of the email was this line, please note that I take Mondays and Saturdays for rest and recreation and will respond to your email when I return to work. A loving and gentle way of reminding all of those who read her emails that she intends to exercise self-compassion so that she can be more compassionate for others. And then I came across this quotation in the New York Times recently as part of their coverage of the pandemic. From time to time, they'll include um, some reflections by readers who talk about how they're trying to make the best of things in this time of challenge. This reflection comes from a woman named Yuli from North Carolina. Yuli said, I am a nurse and my husband is deployed to Iraq. Our boys and I go on weekly Sunday bike rides in our local trails. We don't cook on Fridays, and I have a margarita every Saturday. These little things get me through. These little things are great rituals that help to build a spirit of self-compassion. I know that going into the future, we want to be a force for good in many ways. And I hope that we will continue to invite each other to think about how we can do that. But first and foremost, I hope we can be for each other an experience of grace that we will actually ask one another, what is it that you need in order to support your spirit at this time? What is it that you need to grow in your faith and in your hope? And how is a community, how can we as a community make that kind of growth possible? As we help one another to understand what we need to become whole, and as we learn more about what we need in order to become more caring, that knowledge can make us even more compassionate as we seek to love the world the way that God loves the world. Amen.